praise God for that wonderful worship brought by our wonderful choir, amen. And uh, for you all who are here under the sound of my voice today, if you could stand to your feet with your, to your, feet with your uh, Bible in your hand as we go to Ephesians chapter 6. Praise God for the gift of life today. Praise God for all of our wonderful mothers. We have a lot to rejoice for today. Many Americans rejoice because bin Laden is found to be dead. But we have to rejoice today because Jesus is alive. Ephesians chapter 6. Continue our series today. Connected family. This is our last part of the series. I thank you all for being so attentive and listening. Those who aren't married, we know that we gather and we learn in order that we can counsel one another. For those who are waiting on the Lord in that area, we know that we take these as series in this passage as wisdom uh, as we prepare our hearts for that. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 1, the precious authentic word of God reads, children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Amen. Today we want to talk from the subject, uh, bring them up in the Lord. Bring them up in the Lord. We know that today is Mother's Day again, and I can assure you that in planning this series, uh, that this was sermon was not supposed to fall on Mother's Day, amen? Uh, it was supposed to be last week, but schedule changed, so we praise God for his sovereignty as we will address parents and parenting and our call to bring our children up in the Lord. Uh, just as we think about this passage and about the Holy Spirit leading the Apostle Paul to write this passage, uh, it is just really written well, uh, we see that Paul is teaching us that as Christians, we are called not only to be new creatures and made to be new creatures and a new creation, but we also are called into a new standard of living, a new standard of relating to one another. And that's what Paul is doing in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, through Ephesians chapter uh, 6, up until verse uh, 9, he is, is calling us to see that by being new in Christ, we have been given through the Holy Spirit the strength to relate with one another in a new way, in a new way. So Paul, in, in showing us this, he shows first the, how a wife and a husband relates to one another, starting in verse 22 to about verse 33. And then we see in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 through 3, he shows how a child and a parent are called to relate to one another. 
And then after that, he shows how a slave or an employer and an employee are to relate to one another. And he shows that, that God, through his Holy Spirit, when we're walking in the Spirit and, and being sensitive to his word, that God empowers us to fulfill our God-given roles, to fulfill our God-given roles. And the way that Paul does this is he sets it up like this. He first, in each section, shows that the, the wife, the child, and the slave, that they are to submit to uh, the authority that God has placed over them. And then he shows that that authority figure, the husband, the parent, and the master, that they are to be submitting to the Lord. They are to be submitting to the Lord and loving those whom the Lord has entrusted them to lead in a Christ-like manner or a Christ-like example. So we get to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, and we hear Paul, through the inspiration and the power of the Holy Spirit, saying this, children, obey your parents. Now, Paul, as he's writing this letter to Ephesus, he is writing this to the congregation. The congregation would have received this letter and read it uh, in front of everyone. So he addresses the children. He says, children, obey your parents. Obey is the key word there. The word obey uh, in the Greek, it means to listen to, to attend to, and to submit to. To listen to, to attend to, and to submit to. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5, we see the same word being used as it says, slaves, obey your parents. Now, what's interesting about this word obey is that we see this word obey in the Greek throughout the gospel, and we see it throughout the epistles or throughout the apostles' letters. Uh, uh, we're called throughout the gospels to obey Christ, to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. So in essence, it's kind of like Paul is saying this, or we can gather from this and him using this word, uh, to say that God expects children to submit and to surrender to their parents in the same way that he, submits, uh, that he expects every Christian to submit to the gospel of Jesus Christ. To submit to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Children, obey your parents. And then he says, in the Lord. Now some have interpreted this phrase, in the Lord, to mean that he's saying that a child is called to obey their parents if their parents are Christians. And only if their parents are Christians. That's not, that's not the right way in which we interpret this. That's not what Paul is saying. He's saying, by saying in the Lord, what he's saying is, is we obey our parents, and he's talking to Christian children, pretty much because we are in the Lord. Because we have been called to serve the Lord and to submit to the Lord. A child is always to, be, uh, to obey their parent, whether their parent is saved or not. The only time that a child is not to obey their parent is if their parent is calling them to lead a life of sin or commanding them to sin against the Lord. We reverence God. We do not follow anyone into sin. So he's saying that we are, he's calling the children to obey their parents in the Lord, and then he says this, he says, for this is right, or this is the right thing to do. And why is this the right thing to do? Because the Lord commanded that it is the right thing to do. In Deuteronomy chapter 5 and 16, uh, Moses uh, hears a word from the Lord and speaks to Israel. He says, honor your mother and your father as God has commanded. 
So a child honors their, uh, they, they honor their parent, they obey their parent because the God of the universe has commanded it. But the second reason why this is right is because nature says that it's right. Nature says that it's right. In Proverbs chapter 23, uh, I believe it's in, in verse 1, it talks about how a father says these words. He says, listen, uh, uh, children, you are to obey the instructions of your parents, for they gave you life. The instruction of your, your father, for they gave you life. So as we look at this passage, and as we think through this passage, as we look at it in context, we must see that God is trying to get the Christian home to be a house or a home of harmony. That's what Paul is trying to get us to do. He's trying to get us to have harmony. He's giving us the, these instructions in order that, that the Christian home would, would be peaceful and enjoyable. That's why he commands the wife to submit to the husband as unto the Lord. And he commands the husband to love his wife even as Christ loved the church. And he commands the children to obey their parents in the Lord. Our Christianity has, should, should affect our home. It should affect the way in which we relate to each other. And it should show the world that there is something unique about our home. There is something unique about this family. There is a harmony that is in this family that is not in our family. And it's because they are loving each other and treating one another the right way because God has commanded and because this is, this is most natural. Now in verse 2, we see that Paul says these words. He says to the children, honor your father and your mother. And of course he's going back and he's reflecting on Exodus chapter 20. Uh, on the fifth commandment that was given by the Lord to Israel, which says, honor your mother and your father. Now, there's a difference between the word honor and obey. To obey means to attend to, to listen to, to submit to. To honor means to reverence deeply. It means to show appreciation to. So we can obey someone without honoring someone. Uh, unfortunately, many people, they obey their boss without honoring their boss. And we see this just, just recently uh, surrounding the royal wedding. There was a Buckingham uh, guard whose job was to uh, protect the queen and protect the royal family at the Buckingham Palace. And he was on guard. You know, he was one of the guards who wore that majestic uniform with that great hats that we all envy and want. You know, one of the guards is just stand on guard and they don't move. I don't care what you do to them. They don't move. They just stay there. And one guard uh, who apparently did a great job obeying his, his command, staying on guard in his command, apparently went home right before the wedding and on Facebook bashed Kate Middleton, who is the now new Duchess of York. Uh, so here he was obeying his commander, by holding his post, but he was not honoring the ones in which he was supposed to be serving. Uh, but God calls children not just to obey their parents, not just to surrender or to submit to their parents in the Lord, because they are in the Lord, but they, he also calls them to honor them. 
to respect them dearly, to, to reverence them, to reverence them. I think that it's important, parents, as we train our children and as we uh, talk to our children uh, to not fall back on the old saying, uh, do this because I told you so. Uh, while that is certainly true that they should do this because we told them so, as Christians and as Christian parents, we want to up the ante a little bit. If they have been baptized and they are believers, if they have made a confession of faith and said that their allegiance is to Christ, we want to remind them of that. The reason you are to do this is not just to obey me. But the reason you are to, to do what I ask you to do is, is because you have submitted and surrendered your life to the Lord. You are now in the Lord, and the Lord calls you to, not only to surrender to him, but to surrender to me and to, to honor me as well, to honor me as well. And if they truly are believers and have been captured by the Holy Spirit, they will learn to do that even more. Now, Paul goes on to say, honor your father and your mother, and he says, for this is the first commandment with promise. Now, if we were to go back to Exodus chapter 20, uh, and if we were to go specifically to verse 12, we'll see that after the Lord told them to honor uh, their parents, he says, listen, for your days, and he says this in, the, in this next section, the same verse, he says, for your days uh, will be long in this land. So, so God gave uh, the Israelites a promise that if the children obey their parents, that they will remain in Canaan, the land that he was giving them, the land that he was promising them for a very long time, for a very long time. And why would they remain in Canaan for a long time? Why would they remain in the promised land for a long time? Because they are, the reason they will remain was because they were uh, obeying the wisdom of their parents and their parents were teaching them uh, who the Lord was and, and why they should reverence him and why they should reverence him. And as a, Christian, as we read this and as we meditate on this, honor your mother and your father, uh, we don't have a promise to remain in our homes or to remain in our land, but we should teach our children that they do have a promise of eternal life. If they submit and surrender their hearts to the Lord, there is a, a promise as they are obedient to the Lord that they will remain in the Lord and with the Lord forever. Now, some theologians see a problem here in this verse. For as we look at verse 2, it says, for this is the first commandment with promise. If one looks back at the Ten Commandments, we see that the second commandment, which is to no, have no other gods be before the Lord, also seems to have a, a stipulation or a promise connected to it. But I, what, I, what I think Paul is doing here is Paul is saying this. This is the first specific commandment that leans a specific promise, that leans a specific promise. As we look and as we meditate over this passage as parents and as those who uh, one day want to be parents, uh, as we look at these commands, we say, man, you know, this is the type of, of child that I want. I want a child that's going to be obedient. I want a child that's going to be in the Lord. I want a child that is going to do what's right. I want a child that's going to, to honor me, that's going to honor me. And we know that even as parents, if we do all that we're supposed to do, that there's a chance that our children will not do this. Uh, but we need to understand as Christians that if we submit to the word of God, that while there is a chance that our children will go astray, that, will not, that should not be the rule. We should not expect them to go astray. 
Uh, that should be, or to stay astray, I should say. Uh, but rather, that should be the exception. The proverb says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he gets old, he will not depart from it. Will not depart from what you taught him. But there's some things that Paul is going to show us here in these next few verses where we're going to camp out that will help us to raise commendable, Christ-centered children. Paul, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, begins to tell parents some, some things, some simple things that will help us to train up our children in a way that would have their hearts to submit to Christ and to submit to the way in which we bring them up. But before we go there, before we look at those things, I want to talk really quickly about some challenges that parents face in raising their children up in the Lord. Some things that make parenting difficult. And one of the first things that make parenting difficult, one of the first things that, that makes it hard for, for children to be obedient is found within that child. It's found within that child. See, the first obstacle and the main obstacle that we as parents uh, have to overcome is, is that that child, our precious, precious children, Little Johnny, little Nuke Nuke, little baby. They are born sinners. They are born sinners. Psalm chapter 51, verse 5, David says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive us. We were born, they are born sinners because Adam, the first uh, human being, and Eve, because they disobeyed God. Disobeyed God. And as a result, God cursed every human being that from birth we will be controlled and we will be a, a slave to sin. Proverbs chapter 22 verse 5 says, foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, in the heart of a child. So from conception, from birth, our children have a proclivity, have a tendency to disobey. They have a proclivity to be selfish. Life is all about them. And if you've been parenting for a day, you quickly know <laughs> that that precious little cuddly baby is most concerned about themselves. And they will grow to, to always be, be, be that way unless the Lord saves them and delivers them. The Bible teaches that we are totally depraved from birth, from birth that our sin corrupts Every single part of us. Our sin affects the way in which we rationalize. It affects the way in which we socialize. It affects our emotions. It affects our, our economy. It affects every single part of us because sin seeks to, to corrupt and to destroy. The second challenge in raising a child is not just what's found within that child. It's not just found what's in that child, but it's, 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 it's what's found around that child, around that child. The Bible tells us that not only are we sinners from birth, but the Bible tells us that the world in which we live in, that it's fallen and that it is sinful. We live in a sinful world. And Paul told Timothy in first, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 3 through 8, that the world in the last days, that it's going to get increasingly more wicked. 
And when Paul uses the phrase, in the last days, he's speaking of the time after the resurrection and ascension of Christ. He says, listen, after Christ ascended, we, we were ushered into what the period that is called the last days. And we, in 2011, are in probably the latter of the last days or a, a closer time to, to Christ's return. So he says, as the world continues to go on, the world will get increasingly more wicked. And you parents are raising your children in a world that is getting more wicked. He says, for in the last days, people will be lovers of self. They will be lovers of money. He says, they will be proud. They will be arrogant. They will be abusive. They will be disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, and not loving good. He said they will be treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of self rather than lovers of God, having an appearance of godliness but, de but denying its power. That's what the Bible says. So parents, we have to believe and know that every year this society, the world, is, is, is getting more wicked until the return of Christ. The other day I, I read an article about a father who had bought his son an iPad, an iPod Touch. And he gave his son an iPod Touch and one day his son had a nine-year-old friend over and they were, of course, having a sleepover and spending the night and they, uh, he asked his father for the iPad iPod Touch so that he could uh, play some video games. The father gave it to him and the, and the boys. And the father just came in the room just to check on them. They were pretty quiet. And as he walked in the room, he looked at them, made eye contact, and they gave the father that look. And parents, we know what that look is. That's that, I know I'm not supposed to be doing this look. And the father walked over and he took the iPod Touch from the boys and he clicked on the link thinking that the, the game that they were playing was going to come up. And what came up was hardcore pornography. And he clicked on another link, and hardcore pornography came up. And this is a 10 and a 9-year-old watching hardcore pornography together. Listen, your children know more probably about sex at the age of 10 than you knew at the age of 18. And some of our 15-year-olds know more about sex now than we do or than you do now. Because even as we look at American society, we have become overly sexualized. And this is a challenge that you as a parent, that you have to overcome. And that we have to open our eyes up and say, you know, little Susie and little Johnny, uh, they need to be watched and I need to teach them and protect them from this. A recent statistics show that 82% of guys in college saw pornography before the age of 18. 82 males, 82% 82 of the males in college uh, reported that they saw pornography before 18. Nearly 6 out of 10 girls by the age of uh, 18 have viewed hardcore pornography. Nearly one out of third, uh, one third of every teen interviewed has received new photos of their friend or their boyfriend or girlfriend. We live in a corrupt world, a world where $3 billion a year 
is spent on child pornography. And I'm just saying that this is just one of the 19 qualities that Paul listed in 1 Timothy chapter 3. This is just one of them. We're not even getting into the other 18 qualities of what's going to happen uh, as, as time gets closer to the return of Christ. And as parents, we have to be aware of these. Third, the third challenge for a parent to overcome is parenting style differences. Parenting style differences. As we seek to raise children that are going to obey us and honor us and be on fire for the Lord, uh, we have to recognize that, that a challenge is that the mother and the father both come from probably completely different upbringings. Completely different parental <laughs> guidance. You know, the father, he's, he looks at little Johnny and he thinks, hey, little Johnny, he should have a pair of Jordans every time they come out. Looks at little Johnny and say, man, this is my son. I want him geared up. I want him to wear nothing but name brand. And the, the mother's saying, man, little Johnny needs to go to Target. <laughs> the father says, you know, little Johnny can, he can use a, a butt whooping. We need to whoop him. The mother says, no, I read the latest uh, psychology reports, and we need to just give him a timeout. The father says, well, if he's not sleepy, don't force him to have a bedtime. When he's sleepy, he'll be tired enough and he'll fall asleep. The mother says, no, 8 o'clock, he's only 5 years old. He needs to be in bed by 8. But what I'm saying is, it's, it's, it's difficult as, as parents to raise a child because we have completely different upbringings and completely different views on, on what that should look like. It's a challenge that we have to overcome, a challenge that Paul is going to help us overcome here in a second. And that's not to mention the, the challenge of, of raising a blended family, a family where the mother has children from previous relationships and the father has children from previous relationships. And that's not to mention the, the economical challenge. We know that the way that our culture and our, our America is set up now is very difficult for parent, for uh, one parent, for the father to be the breadwinner and the mother to stay at home with the children. Now it's kind of, it's almost forced and expected that both the mother and the father will be, uh, have, a, have a career. There are challenges that we have to overcome. So how do we overcome them? How do we overcome these challenges? Paul gives us some great, incredible wisdom, uh, just all packed into this, 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 this one verse, verse four. Listen to what he says. He says, fathers, fathers, do not provoke your children into anger. Do not provoke your children into anger. So he starts off after telling the kids to be honorable and, to, and how to be commendable. He starts off and he says, fathers, do not provoke your children into anger. Now, why does he start with the fathers? Why does he call out the fathers and address the fathers in this verse? There's a, a couple things that we could kind of guess and assume. One is, is as we study history, specifically uh, Roman Gre Greco history during this time, we learned that fathers were not really involved or expected to be involved in the raising of a son. In the culture of the day, the father was expected to kind of bring home the money. And uh, he only got involved with the children if there were really disciplinary uh, things to do. That's how the Roman culture, or that's what, what the expectation is. Some say, well, the reason he addresses the fathers is because it's a little more natural for mothers to deal with children. 
fathers, uh, it just doesn't come as natural. But I believe the reason why Paul, especially contextually, addresses the fathers and not the mothers in this text is because the fathers are the heads of the home. Remember, we just learned in the previous section about how God expects the father to be the managers of the home, the overseer of the home. God holds the father responsible, ultimately, on how the children of the home will be raised. Remember when Adam and Eve fell and they sinned? Remember the the storyline in the beginning of Genesis? How God came looking for Adam and Eve? And how even though Eve initiated the sin, who did God call in the garden? Whose name did God call? He said, Adam, where are you? Adam, I see your household. I see your family, and it's not looking the way it's supposed to look, the way we talked about. Where are you? Men, God is going to ultimately hold us accountable on the day of judgment before we, when we stand before him. Even as Christians, even though we will not be condemned and judged to hell, uh, we will be uh, somewhat held accountable for every inch of our homes. So he said, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. What does it mean to provoke? The word provoke means to embitter your children. He said, fathers, do not embitter your children to anger. Do not embitter them to anger. In other words, do not intentionally seek to irritate them or to make them upset. In some ways uh, that we as parents, that we can embitter our children, is by setting unreasonable goals for our children. Some parents embitter their children by expecting their children to be perfect. Now, while we do want to call our children to a a high standard and and show them that we have uh, high expectations for them, we want to do that at a reasonable amount. You know, we don't want to go Joe Jackson on them. Another way in which we embitter our children is we find ourselves, if we find ourselves always coming down hard on our children, uh, when they make a mistake, making it seem as if uh, they are the worst person in the world, or I even call, heard a, a parent recently call their child while I was at a, a store stupid. Uh, we should never call our children stupid or use the term dummy or slow. And sometimes as parents, you may even find yourself just joking and saying, man, you're so slow, but if you say that enough, that child is going to believe that. We embitter our children by being cold to them, by never complimenting them, by presenting God to them as a a horrible judge who's watching everything that they do and every time that they make a mistake is is going to to punish them. We ought to show our children this God that we serve and, 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 and present them in a way that's great. Present them in a way that's high, that's lofty. We ought to love our children and and, and edify them and and encourage them and and to cherish them and to show them that next to God and next to our husband and wife that they are our main priority. Our main priority. I like what he says after he says that fathers do not provoke your children to anger. He says, but bring them up. That's in the active tense, but bring them up. As we are following the guidance of the Holy Spirit, as a Christian father and a Christian mother submits themselves to 
to, to the Lord and in the Holy Spirit, we have to see that one of our, our calls and, and a great call is, is for us to bring our children up. Now, that term, bring our children up, is from the Greek word ekthropo. And ekthropo also is found in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 29. It is the same word that Paul uses earlier uh, as nourish, to, to nourish our children. Same exact word. So here, uh, uh, even more literal translation would be, uh, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but nourish them. Nourish them. Feed them to maturity. Feed them to maturity in the Lord. Or of the Lord. Feed them to maturity. It is our job as parents not just to provide for our children physically by making sure that food is on the table. Paul said, it's your job. It's your job to nourish them, to make sure that you are raising them up to maturity in Christ. My daughter, uh, Nia, very precious to me. I love her. My wife loves her. It was a great day, an exciting day. When we took her into, I believe it was her six-month checkup, and the doctors told us that it's time for us to put her on some baby food, uh, and she no longer has to drink milk. And so we went to the grocery store and was excited, got some baby food, and we just got around her and gave it to her, and she just took her bite, yeah, 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 yeah. And we just smiled and said, "Oh, so precious, so precious." You know, we were so excited because we got to feed her food, got to see her eat something other than drinking milk. But I tell you, as time goes on, we're noticing that she doesn't want to be fed by us anymore. When we put that spoon up to her mouth, she's just reaching and grabbing, and she wants to take it and wants to feed herself. And and she tries. A couple times we let her, and food just got all over her face and in her nose, and she just flung some on us. Because it's not time for her to feed herself. It's time for us to feed her. And as parents, we have to know that it is, it is our time, as long as your child is under your household. It is your responsibility, it is our responsibility to feed them, to give them the type of spiritual food that they need that is going to help them to grow, to know the Lord. He says, you bring them up. The average child watches 30 hours of television per day. Uh, per day, per, wow, per day. Per week. Y'all like, 30 hours per day? My goodness. America's really messed up. which is, can, can be understandable depending on the context. But remember this, the average child who is in, in school spends on average 30 hours at school. Now, the reason why this is a challenge to parents is because that's 60 hours per week that that child is going to more than likely be learning uh, the world system and hearing the world's values. 60 hours a week that they are probably going to be bombarded with anti-God, humanistic messages. 
60 hours a week. 60 hours a week, probably they're going to see or hear about uh, unhealthy or some unhealthy relationships. And we have to see and know and be extremely sensitive that, that, that while they watch TV and while they're at school, that they are probably eating from, honestly, Satan's table, hearing Satan's messages. So we have to be extremely active and extremely cautious and take note of Satan's attempt to indoctrinate them with what he wants them to know. He says, parents, you, father, you, mother, you bring them up. You bring them up. And don't just bring them up, but he tells us specifically, you bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's how we overcome the challenge to raise children, is we do it in the Lord. Notice he says, discipline. Discipline of the Lord. That's where discipline means to train or to correct. Whenever we read it in the scriptures, talking about to, to, to train them up in the Lord to correct them in the Lord. Specifically, most times when we see this word discipline, and even as we read the Old Testament, as we read the Proverbs, we know that the writer normally uh, talks about something as, as 21st century Christians that we don't want to talk about, and that, that's kind of receiving a bad rep, and that's to whoop your child. To whoop your child. <laughs> Twenty-nine countries. It is outlawed to spank or whoop your child. In America, it's becoming extremely rare to hear their parents spank or whoop their children. In fact, one of the reasons why people are, are moving away from this is because they say, "Well, discipline your child through whooping or spanking—it's—it's it's unloving." And the question that we have to ask ourselves anytime we hear a philosophy is, "What does the Bible say about it?" And the Bible speaks quite. Clear on it. Throughout the Proverbs, Proverbs 13, 24, Proverbs 22, 15, Proverbs 23, 13, Proverbs 29 and 15, Proverbs 13, 24 says the exact opposite. It says, whoever spares the rod hates his son. Whoever spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Is diligent to discipline. Lovingly spanking and whooping the child is, is not, not loving them. It's actually showing that you, that you hate them. In fact, God says this is of us. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6, it says the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And how does he discipline them? He says, and chastises every son whom he receives. So God disciplines us. He whoops us, so to speak. He spanks us by tailor-making different trials and tribulations for us because it is in that pain that we look to him and that we learn obedience. Now, God doesn't tell us to abuse our children, but to, to lovingly correct our children. Turn your Bibles real quick to Proverbs chapter 
29. Proverbs chapter 29. Let's look at verse 15. Go ahead and read it. It says, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Very clear. A child that is left to himself, a child that is not disciplined or corrected. Well, I don't like to whip my child. I try to rationalize with them. Talk to me in five years and tell me how that's going. One proverb says that we have to uh, rebuke or reprove our children while they are young, early on. So if you think all of a sudden you're going to start whooping your child while they're 15 and get them to obey you, Got a, a wonderful surprise coming to you. God doesn't say this in order to be cruel or to be rude, but he says this in order that you would teach your children to submit. The proverb continues and says, When the wicked increase, transgressions increase, but the righteous will look upon their downfall. Discipline your child, and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. Discipline your child and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. And throughout the scriptures, we see that when a father does not do this, that their child ends up running wild. We see this in an example of Samuel. The Bible tells us in 1 Samuel that Samuel did not discipline his sons, and his sons grew up to be evil. The Bible says this of David with his son Absalom. David did not discipline Absalom, and Absalom ended up bringing shame to him. So here's some quick tips for a husband and a wife to discipline their children because I know that there is a great difference between the way a man desires to discipline their child and a wife. So here's just some, some quick tips on disciplining our children that I believe is wise as we find it throughout the scripture. Number one, make sure that your child sees you on one accord when you discipline them. Make sure that your child sees you on one accord when you discipline them. I'm not just talking about whooping them, I'm talking about handing out punishments or timeouts. You, we need to never argue in front of our children about discipline. Amen. Amen. Remember, early in the chapter, Paul was talking about how we are to be one flesh. Our children need to see us united. They need to see us together. They do not need to see good cop versus bad cop. So y'all can stop playing good cop, bad cop. You be the bad cop, I'll be the good cop. (laughs) Number two. Under no circumstances should we allow our children to disrespect our spouse. Under no circumstance should you ever allow your child to discipline. I don't care how old your child is. And even if that spouse is not their biological parent, especially in blended situations, you all have to be on one accord to that child. Even if that child is not biologically their father's, mother's, you have to stand up and say, in this house, he is the head. And fathers do the same thing. Man, I heard a a, a wonderful story once of a guy who was out to eat with his wife and with his young child, and his son copped an attitude with with his mother at a restaurant. And the father jumped up and said, hey, you, me, right now, outside. (laughs) Went outside unlocked the car door, said, sit down. The child sat down. He grabbed him by his collar, 
And this is a Christian man, a man, a godly man that I admire. He says, I ought to kill you right now. He says, you, I better not ever hear you talk to my wife that way. If I don't allow anyone else to talk to her that way, what makes you think I'm going to allow you to talk to them that way? Do you think that son <laughs> ever disrespected his mother again? They need to see that unity, that oneness. Number three, try to avoid whooping your child when you're at the top of your wrath. All right? Our job and our job in whooping our children or disciplining our children, however that looks, uh, they need to know and feel that we are doing it to restore them, not to destroy them. And I, I wholeheartedly recommend that before you just go and whoop them, that you explain to them why you are disciplining them and why you are disciplining them this way. And as Christians, we need to be bringing Christ in it. I mean, I know this may sound far-fetched, but we need to let them know the reason that I'm disciplining you is because I love you, and I want to see you have a life that is full of wisdom and a life that's going to please Christ, and I want you to know Christ, and I want you to obey him and to obey us. Number five, avoid empty threats. Some of our children, we threat them 50 times that we're going to discipline them. And we discipline them one out of every 50 times. If you're going to make a threat, do your best to follow through. If you know you don't feel like whooping them, don't tell them you're going to whoop them. Hey, I'm, going, I'm going to get you soon. <laughs> I'm going to get you soon. Avoid embarrassing the child in public. We should never try to embarrass our children in public. Never should do that. The second thing that Paul says, and the final thing that we're going to talk about for a brief second here, is found in the chapter that we've been looking at, and the verse that we've been looking at says this, but bring them up in the Lord, actively be a part of their lives by disciplining them and instructing them in the Lord. Instructing them in the Lord. Do you want your children to be beautiful people? I think all of us do. In Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8, uh, the writer of the Proverbs is talking to his children and writing to his children, trying to give them practical knowledge. I love what it says. It says this, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland, which is a wreath, for your head and pendants for your neck. The author of the Proverbs, he starts his book off by saying, My child, listen to your parents, obey your parents. Why? In essence, because it's going to make you look great. Now, there's only two ways in which that, that plan or that proverb can break down. The first, of course, is by the child having a hard heart and deciding to disobey his parents. But, but the main way is that if the mother and the father fails to instruct them or bring them up in the Lord. Parents, your job is to instruct your children. Our job is to bring them up, is to instruct them, is to teach them in the word of God. Turn quickly to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let's look at verse 6. And the word says, 
and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. So this is God giving Moses uh, this decree to the children of Israel. He says, you shall teach them to diligently to your children. And what shall you teach them? This command that God has given them. It is our job as parents to be our child's number one educator. Our job to teach our children about the Lord. To teach our children about the Lord. It's not the pastor's job. My job is not primarily to be their number one instructor or teacher. It's not the youth pastor's job. Minister Bishop is an excellent teacher, does a wonderful job with, the, with our youth. It's not our, our Sunday school teacher's job to teach your children the Bible. The Bible says that it is your job, and how are you to teach them? You are to teach them diligently. You are to teach them diligently. They should see you as their primary source of spiritual knowledge. And the only way we're going to do that, if we go up to verse 4 and verse 5, is if we seek to love the Lord wholeheartedly. A parent that is seeking to love the Lord wholeheartedly, none of us can do it. (laughs) None of us in our own strength can love God wholeheartedly. But through God's spirit, he can give us a desire and to help us to do it more and more and more. And as we are seeking to love God wholeheartedly, we should be seeking to teach our children wholeheartedly to know about the Lord. It's our responsibility to teach them the doctrine of God, to teach our children about God and how he is triune. It's our responsibility to teach our children about how he is eternal, about his immutability. It is our responsibility to teach them about how God is a loving and a kind God, but he's also a God that hates sin and that one day will judge all sinners. It is our job to teach our children about about him being sovereign, about him being omnipresent and omniscient. It is our job to teach our children about him being glorious. It's our job to teach them the doctrine of man. It's our job to teach our children about man and how man was created to give God glory, but about how man failed and how man disobeyed God and how every heart, every male's heart is prone to wander away from the Lord. It is our job to have Bible studies and to teach them about human nature and about the fallen, to teach them why it is so hard to do what's right when we want to do what's right. It's our job to teach them about Jesus. To teach them about how God allowed his son to become incarnate, to put on human clothing and to walk this earth and to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. It is not the pastor's job. It's not the television's job. It's not T.D. Jake's job. It's not John Piper's job. It is our job. God has called us to to raise the standard, to teach our children. Listen to what he says. And you should talk of them when you sit in your house. He says, while you're just sitting around the house, you should talk about God. You should talk to them when you, when you lay down at night, when you walk by the way, when you're walking around them, when you rise up, God is calling us to, to be addicted to Christ ourselves and to help our children to have the same addiction. Why? Because Christ is glorious because there is no one like him because we were created for his pleasure and for his purpose he called us to indoctrinate them with 
a godly view, a godly perspective. If we're not actively indoctrinating our children with the, with the word of God, if we're not actively pursuing their minds and pursuing their hearts by showing them just how glorious God is, then we are leaving it up to little Wayne, Jay-Z, Lil Jeezy, Beyonce, and everyone else. When we teach them, we don't just teach them by telling them. We teach them by showing them. Children just don't listen to what we teach. They watch for what we reach. Can't tell them to touch, don't touch a hot stove and they see us burning our hand on the stove. And how does a, a parent do this? How, how do we raise our children to be so commendable and to be Christ-centered? We do it by, by not doing it in our own power, by not trusting our own wisdom, by not trusting our own strength, but we will be able to do it when we, when we trust in the Lord. When we throw ourselves at the mercies of the Lord and say, Lord, you know, right now I really don't desire you like I should. I really don't desire to be in your word like I should. But, Lord, I know that I need it in order to please you, in order to know you. And I know, Father God, that I want my children to know you. So, God, please give me the desire. Give me the desire to seek you wholeheartedly. Give me and my husband a, a desire and a vision for our child. Help us, Father God, to raise them up in a way that they should go. Give us a passion for your gospel, for your good news. Let it, let it be a part of our lives. Let us grow deeply in it. Let us not just see the silhouette of Jesus, but let us see the person of Jesus. And I tell you, the Bible says that God is a rewarder of him who diligently seeks him. And when we have done all that we could do, we don't worry ourselves about our children. We trust the Lord with our children. Say, Lord, I've done all that I can do there in your hands now. And though they may wander like that prodigal son, Father God, I know that you're able. I know that those words that I put in their heart before they went to school, I know those prayers that we prayed around the kitchen table. I know those times that they saw me fasting, they saw me on my face. I, I know those times that I corrected them and showed them why what they did was offensive to you. I know that those things can stir up in their hearts and that you can pull them back to you. This church is called to be a family of families. This church, we have been called out the world as individuals to have relationships that the world should envy. We've been called out of this world, plucked, transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. You have been saved. You have been delivered from an addiction. You have been delivered from loving alcohol. You have been delivered from giving, for, from giving your body away to whoever says sweet things. So you have been delivered from your sin, from your selfishness, in order that you would be able to join a revolution that was started 2,000 years ago when Jesus died. You have been called to do something great for him who is great. You have been empowered by his Holy Spirit to do something. 
God wants your child to be an arrow that is aimed at Satan's head. God wants your life to be greater than you could have ever imagined in him. Yes, he has called you to suffer, but he's called you to suffer for his glory in order that you may reign with him. Parents, dear parents, bring them up in the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we just thank you for your salvation. We thank you for calling us not just to be new creatures, but calling us to new relationships. We thank you for empowering us to fulfill our call. For you never call us unless you are going to empower us.